Right, last time in our introduction to apologetics, we looked at two general ways in which a person can come to a knowledge of God. The way of faith, which is based in testimony, and the way of reason, which is based in sense experience. Here we're going to see that in addition to these modes of knowing, a person can also come to know God directly and personally through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. We're told in the New Testament that God himself bears witness to the truth through the powerful activity of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the believer. Consider the Apostle Peter's words to the Jewish authorities in Acts chapter 5, where he says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The Apostle Paul speaks of the inner witness of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, where he writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And again, in Galatians chapter 4, Because you are sons, Paul says, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father. Now, notice that Paul says here that the Spirit bears witness directly to the heart or spirit of the believer. We can see then that the witness of the Holy Spirit to the believer is direct and it's personal rather than being mediated or inferential. To experience the witness of the Holy Spirit is to have an immediate experience of God Himself. So, according to Scripture, the genuine Christ follower has a special internal relationship to the Spirit of God himself that ultimately grounds the believer's faith and belief in Christianity in a fundamental and basic way. As believers, we literally have the testimony of God living within us. The Apostle John is especially clear about the power of the inner testimony of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer, an experience which, according to John, amounts to an immediate knowledge and awareness of God. In his first epistle, John writes, By this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given. And again, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his Spirit. So according to John, the Spirit working within the believer is the ultimate source of the believer's confident knowledge of the truth. In an incredible passage, John goes on to write, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. This is in John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6-10. through 10. Now, when John here talks about water and blood, he's almost certainly referring to Jesus' baptism, which occurred at the beginning of his ministry, and then to the crucifixion of Jesus, which was the culmination of his ministry. And when he talks about receiving the testimony of men here, he's almost certainly referring to the apostolic testimony concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is apostolic witness of which John himself contributed since he was a disciple of Jesus. He was an eyewitness to these things. Now notice what John is saying here. He says that the immediate testimony of the Spirit 
which the believer has in himself is even greater than the apostolic testimony itself, the testimony of men. So John's telling his first century readers that the testimony of the Spirit at work within them provides even stronger warrant for their belief in Christ than does his own eyewitness testimony of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that is a remarkable claim. In light of the biblical teaching about the witness of the Spirit that's available to every believer, we need to consider the following question. What role do reasons, arguments, and evidences, or apologetics, have in the life of the believer who has this inner witness of the Spirit? After all, we just heard from the Apostle John, the greatest witness to the truth of Christianity is God himself, who communicates directly to the believer's spirit, according to the New Testament. There cannot possibly be a greater source of warrant for Christian belief than this direct witness of the Holy Spirit for the person who has that witness. Now, to answer this question, we need to make a crucial distinction between knowing that Christianity is true, on the one hand, and then showing that Christianity is true on the other. As we've seen, according to the New Testament, the primary way in which we know that Christianity is true is through that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Belief that's based on the immediate witness of the Spirit is an example of what philosophers refer to as a properly basic belief. A properly basic belief is a foundational belief that is rationally justified and warranted wholly apart from arguments or inference from other beliefs. So, to say that a belief based on the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is properly basic is just to say that such a belief is appropriately grounded, epistemically, in experience, and therefore rationally warranted wholly apart from arguments or external evidence. In other words, the Christian who has the witness of the Spirit can be rationally justified and warranted in his Christian belief even if he is unable to offer any external evidence or reasons in support of that belief, because that belief is properly basic. William Lane Craig has referred to the testimony of the Spirit within the life of the believer as being self-authenticating. By self-authenticating, Craig means, quote, that the experience of the Holy Spirit is veridical and unmistakable, though not necessarily irresistible or indubitable, for him who has it. That such a person does not need supplementary arguments or evidence in order to know and to know with confidence that he is in fact experiencing the Spirit of God. That such experience does not function in this case as a premise in any argument from religious experience to God, but rather is the immediate experiencing of God himself. That in certain contexts, the experience of the Holy Spirit will imply the apprehension of certain truths of the Christian religion. That such an experience provides one not only with a subjective assurance of Christianity's truth, but with an objective knowledge of that truth. And that arguments and evidence incompatible with that truth are overwhelmed by the experience of the Holy Spirit for him who attends fully to it. End quote. Craig is emphasizing the point we made above. Since the witness of the Spirit is self-authenticating, the Christian believer who has it does not require supplementary arguments or external confirmations in order for his faith to be rationally warranted. Moreover, uh, Craig says that because the internal witness of the Spirit is so powerful for the one who attends fully to it, it can trump any contrary evidence and argument that might be brought against that Christian faith. The philosopher Elvin Plantica has referred to this kind of exceptionally warranted, properly basic belief as an intrinsic defeater-defeater 
because the original belief is so strong and so strongly warranted for the one who has it that it defeats any ostensible defeaters that are brought against it. Plantica argues that a belief can have so much rational warrant for the person that holds it that it overwhelms whatever rational force contrary arguments or criticisms may have. To illustrate the idea, Plantica considers the case of an innocent man who is on trial for murder. Now, during the trial, the prosecution produces incredibly damning evidence against the defendant. Forensics, eyewitness testimony, video recordings. And yet, despite all of this, the innocent defendant knows, he just knows that he didn't commit the crime. And this knowledge that he has defeats for him whatever evidence is brought against him to prove otherwise. In like fashion, the Christian who enjoys the self-authenticating witness of the Spirit has such powerful rational warrant for his faith that it can trump any and all arguments and evidence that may be brought against it. Now, this does not mean that there is no place for arguments and evidence for the one who has the witness of the Spirit. Rather, it means that arguments and evidence for the truth of Christianity will function as a source of confirmation for, for what's being believed uh, based on the direct witness of the Holy Spirit. Again, as Craig writes, quote, A person who knows that Christianity is true on the basis of the witness of the Spirit may also have a sound apologetic, which reinforces or confirms for him the Spirit's witness, but it does not serve as the basis of his belief. If the arguments of natural theology and Christian evidences are successful, then Christian belief is warranted by such arguments and evidences for the person who grasps them, even if that person would still be warranted in their absence. Such a person is doubly warranted in his Christian belief, in the sense that he enjoys two sources of warrant." End quote. So the believer who has access to sound apologetics will have a second source of rational warrant for his beliefs. And as Craig says, this person will be doubly warranted in his belief, having rational warrant both from the internal witness of the Spirit and from the external reasons, arguments, and evidences. We can therefore say that although the arguments and evidences for Christianity may be sufficient on their own for a knowledge of its truth, they're not necessary for a knowledge of the truth. Apologetics can provide rational warrant for Christian belief, but it isn't needed for a believer to have rational warrant for his Christian belief, since the belief of every genuine believer is already rationally warranted by that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, the idea that belief based on the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is rationally warranted for the one who experiences that witness is often scorned and ridiculed by critics. The complaint is that a belief that's based on this kind of subjective inner experience cannot possibly be reasonable or rationally justified. Well, let me say two things in response to this kind of criticism that we often hear from the skeptic when we talk about the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. First, it's important to point out that whether or not Christian belief based on the testimony of the Holy Spirit is rational and warranted will depend on whether or not the God of Christianity exists. If he does exist, then clearly he is well able to provide the kind of witness directly to the believer that the New Testament talks about. In other words, the critic can't simply just deny that belief based on the witness of the Holy Spirit is unwarranted or irrational for the one who has it unless and until that critic can offer some powerful reason to think that the God of Christianity does not, in fact, exist. As Elvin Plantinga convincingly argues in his excellent book called Warranted Christian Belief, quote, 
There isn't the faintest reason to think that Christian belief lacks justification, rationality, or warrant. At least, no reason that does not presuppose the falsehood of Christian belief. The warrant enjoyed by belief in God is related in this way to the truth of that belief. End quote. Now, for those of you who may be philosophy aficionados out there, what Plantinga is basically saying is you can't make a de jure argument against the uh, rationality of Christian belief apart from a de facto argument against the truth of Christian belief. They have to go hand in hand, because if God exists, then belief in God is utterly rational for the Christian. Now, the second way in which I would respond to the critic is with a challenge. If you find yourself skeptical about the possibility of having a rationally warranted belief in God that rests on the direct testimony of God himself, test it for yourself. Pick up the Bible, begin to read, and do it with an open mind and an open heart. Now, I'd suggest that you start with the Gospel of Luke and then read his sequel, the Book of Acts. And as you read, ask God to reveal himself to you and then just see what happens for yourself. So, so much for how a believer personally and ultimately knows that Christianity is true. Let's briefly turn to how the believer is supposed to show to others that Christianity is true. Well, when it comes to showing the truth of Christianity, the use of arguments and evidences or apologetics is absolutely essential. Since as believers we can't share our inner and a subjective experience of God or the Holy Spirit with anyone else, if we want to prove to another that our faith is true, if we want to demonstrate the rationality of our belief, we'll have to appeal to reasons and evidence that are publicly available to everyone. And again, as we've seen, this is one of the functions of Christian apologetics, to demonstrate or show the truth of Christianity by using reason, argument, and evidence. So as believers, we know the truth of Christianity primarily through that self-authenticating direct witness of God himself through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But then we show or we demonstrate the truth of Christianity through the presentation of arguments and evidence, through apologetics.